Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Builders Build Podcast. I'm your host, George Poo. Today, I'm super delighted to invite Melissa Durrell, who's the CEO and head of communication strategy at Durrell Communications, and also a pitch coach for many startups, including myself. Like for my two years of life of being a startup founder, I think Melissa has helped me a lot into perfecting my pitches when talking to investors and just how to communicate better. So I'm pretty excited to have you on the show today, Melissa. Thanks for coming on. It's great to see you, George, and I'm so happy that your pitch worked and you raised. So <laughs> means I did a good job too. So I'm happy with that. Yeah, Melissa, tell us more about like what you do on a day to day basis. Are you mostly spending your time helping founders with their coaching? I kind of wear a couple of different hats. One of the other companies that I work with is Roseview Global Incubator, and so we are registered with the IRCC and we do startup visas. So that I think might be interesting to some of your audience as well. I've come through on startup visas. Roseview Global, we work with international entrepreneurs. I've worked in accelerators for many years and then sort of was inspired, I guess, to work uh, and partner with two other angels to start our own incubator and with the IRCC's designation for startup visa. So I have sort of this other side of me that's all about entrepreneurship and helping entrepreneurs grow their companies and big part of that is the pitch, right? Pitching, which is how I got to work with you through the Accelerator Center. And then on the other side of it, I run a communications company. So we work with organizations, usually after, you know, you've got that big funding because most startups have a CMO or someone who's helping with marketing. They're getting the initial assets together, the story together, and they're starting to put it out. It's not till that founder closes either their first or second round where they start to look for external public relations help. And typically, they'll come to a public relations agency after they do the big, they close the first big deal. So $2 million. We know the Globe and Mail won't touch anything under a million. So you want to have a, a million plus. And even now there's like the men money only 2 million. They like the $10 million deals. So if you get a great deal from a venture capitalist, a bunch of angels, you close that round, you want to tell people about it because it means your company's launching, your company's growing, your company's scaling. So typically we'll come, we'll write a news release with that organization to tell their story. And I always think one of the best stories is the founder's story, which is great because that's what you do on your podcast. Founders talk about the story, why they, why, how they saw the problem, how the solution came about, who they're working with on it. But really your story is less about the founder and it's more about the solution that you're coming to market with because it's really about stories. As great as George's story is for your startup, it's really about how you're helping people who have that problem in the real world, how you're helping them solve that problem. So too many times I see organizations start to make themselves the hero in their own story, where really it's our, our customers, our clients, they're the heroes in our company's brand story. So that's really a big shift I typically see at the very beginning. You're so focused on, you know, we're doing this because we're solving this problem. Well, yes, but really it's about the customer or the client and how they can use your solution to help them achieve greater things. And that's that this, the new lens I like to put on things when I'm working with startups. So then, yeah, so yeah, they get that news release out, and then typically we'll start to do some follow-up, right? There's a couple of things that you want to do, which is you want to look for awards. You want to look for where, what industry are you in? Can you help your industry out? So we start to look at sponsorship, partnerships, events, that kind of stuff, which sort of encompasses that whole public relations space. I think you touched on two pretty important points, Melissa. One is the pitch coaching, the pitch communication or communication in general. The second part is the PR. So let's touch about the pitch coaching and the pitch part first. 
So okay. what, who are the most people asking you for help for like pitch coaching? Are there all those companies that are just like right before they're out to see the investors? Um, what are the main problems you see those companies have before they got your coaching? on the communication standpoint? So typically I work predominantly with tech companies. I'm an angel investor myself. And so I, sometimes I, I, when I talk about we, I mean, it is the angel investors. And so typically that's where angel investors will be focusing, at least in our community. I'm in Waterloo, sort of the innovation corridor in Toronto, like with Toronto involved in that as well. So most of the companies we're seeing are tech. And the reason why angels like that kind of funding is because they scale quickly. So I typically am working with companies in that space. Lately, it's been MedTech. And we saw some great innovation in MedTech. It's a bit of a longer play for angel investors. But the quick software tech, the SaaS is really sexy right now, of course, because it's so fast and so it scales so quickly. So, you know, investors want to see their money back. So typically I see mostly software, a little bit of hardware, but mostly software companies that are looking to scale fast and they need investment. Communication is such an important part of startup's journey. But I think when I said most startup founders don't really think about that when they start their companies, it's mostly about finding product market fit, finding a product fit, like hiring a team, et cetera. But communication is important, right? So like from your experience, like why are communication so important for a founder? You nailed it because you need to do that work. You need to see, is the market open and ready for the product that you're bringing to market. That's all super important work. Your MVP, getting any kind of market validation you can within the market you've chosen to show that people are interested in it, looking at how your go-to-market strategy, like all of that is really important. And the one thing that all of that work has in common is you need to communicate it clearly and concisely and very simply to people so that they can understand it. So, you know, I was just thinking the other day, like typically I'll see a pitch and people will spend like good eight minutes explaining what the problem is. Well, in a 10, 12 minute pitch, if you spend half your time talking about the problem, you haven't spent any time on your solution. So I think that there's something really important to be said about, and George knows, I love it when people write their scripts because it allows you to edit. You really want to be, to make sure that you're only talking about the stuff that's most important. And I think if I asked any founder to tell me what they do, they could spend 10 to 15 minutes telling me about what they do. But most people want to know what you do in about 10 to 15 seconds. So that's a big decrease of how people are talking about it. And, and you know, I'm sure every founder knows the elevator pitch. You constantly are working on your one-liners. And all of that is about clear communications. So I think for me, what I like to see is, yes, talk about the market, but talk about the market in a way that's clear. And so that people understand your market. When you talk about the problem, make it clear, make it quick, make it simple. Spend time on your solution and your company and what your vision is, how you're going to be growing it. Those things are important. That's what people need to know, especially in a pitch, because they're not investing in your product. They're investing in your company. And very likely, most founders I know have one product they're going to market with, but they got about six or seven other iterations that can happen from that product. So you're not selling that product. You're selling the company, the big vision, where you're moving this company in the future. And so that's really where you need to be speaking from. So it's not just one single simple problem. It's the bigger problem that all of your products, when you launch at, you know, after five years and you've got a big product, that's what the big, that's what, that's the clear communications we need to be talking about. So what does that look like? It's, you know, it's often just, I hate to say it, but it's just writing it down. And just like you guys, when you're creating code, you're writing it and you're fixing it and you're iterating on it. Same thing with words. We're just writing and fixing, 
trying things out on other people. Like, I think one of the hardest things with technology, people always say to me, what do they do? How do they do it? And I think, you know, I go back to my old reporter roots because I would spend every day as a journalist trying to take complex ideas and make them simple for the six o'clock news. So I think that's really what the transition I made into communications around tech is I can take really complex ideas and help founders work on really simple concepts around it so that they can explain it to everyone. Because really that's apart from sort of that B2B space where you can get into a very, you can get a little bit more jargony. But if you're pitching to angels, you need to be a little bit more broad so that everybody can understand what you're doing. I totally agree with that. And I think as a founder, there's, there are always, there, there are also other ways you can, you're selling, right? Like people say, when you're a founder, you're selling all the time where you're trying to get your employees or your CTO or your co-founders join the team. You're selling, you're communicating. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to persuade a partnerships or uh, like a key partner or a key, key customer to come on board, you're also selling. And when you're getting bigger, when you're hiring employees, it is the same idea, right? Like communication is just so key. So I guess, Melissa, like outside of just pitch coaching, like how, how important is communication for founders in those areas? And how can most founders improve, maybe just on a small scale, like how can they improve and see media results from your experience? Ooh, good question. Well, I would agree with you in the sense that we're looking at the job market these days and it's really the employees have all the power right now. And so one of the big tactics employers can start to use is good internal communications and talking about how great your organization is and share that with your employees. And that's clear comms. I can't tell you how many CEOs I know recently who moved to Zoom because, you know, the pandemic, they really stopped having those town halls or the town halls turned into Zoom town halls. And then, you know, they became too long. So we hacked them back. There's just people are really struggling with how to communicate with their fast growing teams these days. And I would say like, it's still one of the most fundamental, important things as a leader that you can do is communicate clearly with your team. And so what are those ways that you can do it? You know, even a Friday newsletter from the founder, just letting everybody know the accomplishments. They need to know that you're there and you're working as hard as they are. Otherwise, this the quiet quitting where people are actually still working, collecting a check, but they're not actually doing their job. That's every employer's fear. So I think, but if you communicate them, you give them a sense of pride. Loyalty can be born from that. I ask CEOs all the time, you want a quick tip. How often do you communicate with your entire team? And if you can't answer that question, then you are not doing it enough. Do you have a strategy, an internal strategy to keep your team up to date and keep them loyal, keep them interested in what you're doing, keep them inspired to what you're doing? And if you don't have a strategy or plan, it's time to start to think about one. There's great comps people that can help with that. And then externally, the same thing, right? We want people to know that you're a fast growing company. Like you don't want to get one or two news hits media heads. So people start to know who you are. And then all of a sudden you go silent. You got to keep it moving, get on panels, get out there speaking, talk about who you are and how you're fixing, changing the world, right? That's a big part of being in this exciting, innovative sector that we're in is like all the founders I know, they're not here just to make a quick buck. It's nice when we do, but we're here to make substantial changes, to disrupt the industries that have been like taken too long or inefficient. They cost too much money. This is one of those glorious times to be a part of the, of the business landscape as far as I'm concerned. So how do you keep telling people about your momentum and what you're doing? And, you know, I even think too, sometimes George, it's fun to, to share your failures, right? It's okay. Founders understand it. We all, we fail all the time. Good leaders understand that. I think the CEO of Shopify just got great media coverage talking about how 
he misjudged the trajectory they were going on. They warmed up to that idea because we need to talk about our mistakes because we can learn from them. And if we can't learn from Shopify in Canada right now, who could we learn from, right? Like George, but I'm excited about the new BlackBerry movie that's coming out. And that was a massive, you can say BlackBerry was one of the most successful companies in Canada. They moved to that playbook and the company now is in a completely different space. And so what can we learn from that? I think those are the important things that founders can talk about, because really that's part of your job as a leader is to be a constant learner, always be learning. And part of learning is talking to other people about what they're doing and educating and mentoring, paying it back. I'm so glad as you talk about the importance of like executive leadership communication. And actually, I love that you mentioned the term quiet quitting. Because I, I honestly wanted to discuss that as well. I didn't know quiet quitting has to do with communications from the leadership, but, but now that you mentioned it, I feel like it just might. What are your thoughts, Melissa, about why people are quiet quitting? I think it's becoming such an important topic <laughs> these days. It really is. It's a little bit of a frightening time to be an employer these days. Honestly, George, there, I think people experienced a massive amount of burnout over COVID. And I would say that in the tech space, I know. And I think we need to be very conscious of a lot of people lost their jobs. Many of the industries like retail, any like a lot of industries really struggled through the pandemic. But I think, George, you and I know the tech industry did not struggle during this space. And like a lot of companies did very well. And so I think instead of when the rest of the world was kind of slowing down, I was watching my founders working 18 hours, right? Or maybe doing a bit of a pivot to help to be more digital friendly or whatever that might look like. So there may have been a slight pivot at the beginning and then launching out again. So there wasn't a break. And then the other part about being on video all the time, because all of our meetings were held from home or on the Zoom screens as we are today, I think that had a really big impact. People didn't realize, I think, how, what the effects that would have. And on the same note, I think pe because people were at home, they started having dinners with their families again and realize that there's that life balance. I think our lives did get slightly unbalanced. The statistics back that up. So as we get back into what the norm looks like, I think this quiet quitting has a little bit to do with that is maybe I've been working so hard. I just want to take a little bit of a back seat and just get the a little bit of what I need to get done enough, enough that I need to get done to be able to skate through. I think it's actually really frightening as an employer. A, it means I'm out of touch with my employee. If my employees are quietly quitting right now or, and showing up for work, but that's about it. That's not great, obviously, as an employer, but it also shows that, you know, I need to do some work on my leadership because if people believe in what I'm doing as a, an organizational leader and they're inspired by what I do, I hope that they're less of employees and more of my peers and they're working with me as we move forward. And I think that's something that's I'd like to see. I think really quiet quitting to me is really about looking at leadership and what we're doing within our organizations to instill the fact that your job matters. Maybe that's what people need to hear. Your job matters. I remember there's a mayor, the mayor, old mayor of Calgary, when he first took over, the first thing he said to every single employee in Calgary is, I want you to write down how what you do matters to the citizens of Calgary. So we actually made a direct conversation. So from the people who collect garbage to the people who collect the taxes to the, the people who are helping the planners who are approving the buildings that are that are going to change the landscape. Every single one of them had to attach themselves to the end user, which is the citizens of Calgary. What an interesting concept if every one of your employees in your organization could attach themselves to the why at the end of that rainbow. And that, I think, is essentially that's part of it. 
I think too, this idea that I think there just need, there's some movement that's happening. Um, we're seeing it across every single, you know, the great resignations. We're seeing a lot of older people. The baby boomers are finally starting to retire. And I think it's happening at a higher rate than what we thought. So there's that happening. So there's a like the labor force is a fascinating. I would not want to be in HR these days. Uh, the labor force is really an interesting space to to be watching that I can still continue to get great applicants and build my team. And I'm sure every CEO feels the same way. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned about like communications, like employees might not have heard from their bosses that you're actually doing a great job, yet your work actually makes an impact. I think that part of the communication is important. And I think also, I think some, many employees are just feeling like they're just getting the same check every single month. If they're doing more, if they're doing less, there's not much of a, communi a form of communication standpoint, there's not much has been communicated about like where your upsides might go from here. Right. It's just a day to mundane job of nine to five. So do you think those might also impact like how employees are reacting? And what do you think like an effective leadership, like a leader should actually do to address those quiet quittings that's happening like from startups to big corporations? The first thing I would say is, and I think this is a bit of old school leadership, but it still stands true. You got to know who your employees are. And I remember I had a, a mentor, an, an older gentleman, and he would often brag to me that he knew every single person as he walked into the office and he'd shake their hands and ask about their wives and their kids. And I remember thinking like, I kind of pictured like this 1960s, 70s old office building with this guy walking into it. But there's still something really nice, I think, about being acknowledged. And I think while we might think of that as that old, the old way of business, there's still something really important that we can learn from that, which is treating your employees like people, trying not to have that big divide between the C-suite and leadership and, and employees. So I think that's an important element. I think as far as leadership is concerned, always knowing where, you know, how are you inspiring your employees? Do they have good targets to hit? What are your, the processes? You know, I joked that HR would be a scary place to be these days, but making sure your employees are interested, even doing things like book clubs or having sort of events where you can bring people together. I had one client who was just telling me the other day they had everyone come for a picnic. And, you know, he said the next couple of weeks, not a single person was sick. They were inspired because they got to be together and then they all went back to their homes to work for the next couple of weeks. But he was just struggling with people calling in sick or I might have COVID, I might not. And people weren't showing up to work all the time. And then he did a big picnic in the park, took care of everything. And the next couple of weeks, there were no issues. So I think there's something to be said for really treating your employees great. And I hope that's a good tip for people. It goes without saying. It's kind of common sense, isn't it, George? It is. It is. Uh, another challenge, I think, from founders is like when they are shifting from just a few co-founders to having an initial team to having a bigger team. I think that might be where the struggle is coming in as well. Because when you're just a few co-founders, you're super motivated. You have incentives to do the most work. But when you're having employees, when you're having some initial employees with a little bit of stock options, I think communication starts to fall apart in a way that like, you cannot take care of every single employee anymore. There's one day that you're going to feel that. And even, for example, myself, right now I have six or eight team members and just finding the one-on-one -on -one time every two weeks has been pretty hectic. What are your tips from your experience as like uh, working in communications, working with those founders? What are your tips about improving communications when you're shifting from just beyond the few co-founders to a slightly bigger team? 
Yeah, I mean, we all know the town halls, right? Like everybody gets into the town hall meet where it's sort of a one-to-many. I do think the one-on-ones are a great idea, but as you scale up, it's not as uh, big. But it doesn't always have to be the leader at the top, right? So George, it doesn't always have to be you as your company grows to 50 to 100. You're putting new leaders in place as your company grows. I think more, it's, it's not necessarily the top dog all the time. It's the person who's, who they're answering to. So making sure that you've got those in place. And then I think your job then as the CEO is ensuring that those leaders are meeting one-on-one with their team members on a regular basis and checking in on their KPIs. And, you know, not all KPIs need to be driven for the organization. Like one of the things that we do at Drill Communications is I encourage all of my employees to 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 volunteer in the community. So one of the KPI, we often will set a KPI for, are you volunteering at the Humane Society, at the food bank? And we, so we set some key metrics on how many hours they're volunteering and if that's what they're comfortable with. Because I think also too, a big part of the cult, building culture within your organization is also being a part of the community you're in. And I know that many of us are doing hybrid or even just working remotely. So we might not all be in the same community, but we'll do things like, okay, we'll, we often will give money to an organization. So it's not always in the Waterloo Region Innovation Corridor that we're giving that money away. We might give it away to a smaller a city like London or Hamilton, where some of my employees work, because we haven't done anything there. So they feel like they're contributing into their own community. I think that's really important too. But let me roll back here, because your question was, how do leaders talk to many people it's impossible to get to everybody once you get to that point. So that I think the town halls are great. And then having even having a recorded message that can go out to your employees before a mess. You know, I think one of the big things, George, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, is letting your team know what's going to happen before it goes public. There's nothing worse for an organization where they read something in the newspaper about their organization or they see something. And so they feel less involved with their company. So just making sure that all that external communications is always filtered internally before it goes external. Right. I think that's an important point, too. And we just saw that with Bell Media. Right. We're all going to be focusing on Bell Media's PR over the next couple of months, focusing on what they did and what they didn't do. But Lisa left Lamb that was, when she was let go or announced on Twitter, the rest of the people were finding out on Twitter so that the organization didn't know. And I think that really catapulted this from like a small uh, PR issue to a massive one because then all across this country and then, the, of course, the consumers that watched the news were also upset by it. So they sort of they were dealing with the double comms on that one. And so that's something, too, is making sure that you're always that your people know first before you tell everybody else. I also want to touch on like an important topic, Melissa, is like it's basically remote work, the future of work, like remote work, mm-hmm. hybrid work. Like it's hard to get like employ- employers and employees are fighting all the time, especially after COVID about going back to the office. And I still think there's a lot of things that's there's a lot of companies that's got to remain hybrid or remote only. But the point about hybrid and remote only is that I think communications can easily get lost during those during those type of works. And sometimes I think that's mm-hmm. maybe the initial part of what might be causing people to feeling burned out or quiet quitting. So as a leader, mm-hmm. how can you make sure, like, how do you recommend folks to communicate, like leaders communicate more effectively to their organizations? My question is like, what are your advice, Melissa, to like leaders who are, you know, like in the remote or hybrid organizations who like where you don't see your teammates every day, how can you lead more effectively when that is the reality most leaders are facing these days? Mm-hmm. 
it's interesting because a lot of CEOs that I work with and executives that I work with right after the pandemic hit. So let's say spring, summer 2020, I was working with a ton of leaders on how they communicate through video, through Zoom, because that was their best method at that time. You know, little did we know that two and a half years later, this is still one of the main methods that we're going to be communicating with our people. So I think being professional, being prepared, always those being consistent, all of those things that you were taught about good communications as you moved up into your leadership role are still really important. Video doesn't change that. But I do think, too, there's it's a lot different. You could you could walk down the hall and or you could bump into someone at the water cooler and have those conversations. And that is what's, I think, really missing and might be leading to some of that not feeling like you've got that full buy in to the organization you're in. So it's just easier to get recruited away because you don't feel that love for an organization that you typically that you would in the past. So things that you can do. I mean, there's some great organizations like tech companies that have come up with some great ideas. So having rewards, having some benefits, making sure that your people know that. I think a big part of it for me is, you know, making sure that you got those great town halls when you're presenting to your team, your professional, you, you need to lead by example. So, you know, showing up in a t-shirt or late for your town hall is not exactly how we want to be showing our new leadership skills in a virtual world. You know, you always got to start there. Having a strategy too, I think is really important as far as having that virtual strategy. So yes, I, you know, everyone's going to see me in this little box for a long time, but how are there ways that we can connect? Like I know some organizations, they'll do volunteer work. So the food bank, I know a few tech companies that'll go in there and they'll help stock the shelves. So, you know, at least you've got sort of that comfort. So if you've got a hundred person team, maybe, you know, a, a 20 person members of that, one of the teams goes in and does it on Monday. And you could say to the food bank, we'd love to help over this group, uh, over this amount of time. Boy, does that feel great? Can put out a news release on it, take some social pictures, just showing your organization, not only doing great work together, but also great work for the community. I think looking for things like that, that you can do, I think having an event for your team to come together. You know, I know some teams will go and work out together, like going for an outdoor run. Not everybody <laughs> wants to run, I know, but maybe there's some something that everybody's got in common. I'm not a gamer, but I know a lot of people are. So maybe having everybody discord into the same game and maybe it's Minecraft for those people who aren't as tech advanced as some of the others. But have everybody group in together. Look for opportunities where the team, maybe because we have to stay virtual. So, you know, if you're not comfortable or everyone is all over the world and you can't all do donate your time in one space, but look for opportunities to bring people together, not just in a work environment. One of the biggest things I'm hearing is we don't have those places where you're like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And someone says, oh, well, actually, my, my mother-in-law or someone's not feeling very well, so we're going to go visit them. On a Zoom call, you don't typically have those conversations with people because you're, you know, it's pretty business focused. You're, you're running by your agendas. If I'm walking through my office and I see somebody, we'll have those kind of conversations. So creating those unique spaces where, you know, not only the leadership can start to reach out to the employees and learn those little things. And maybe, you know, on Discord during a Minecraft day where everybody's in it, you might have some fun things like somebody's dog might be barking and you're like, oh, hey, did you get a new dog? It's those little things. Bring your pets to work day. Those kind of things where people are bringing their home. We did a, a big sort of connection call for a client and I didn't let anybody know this, but I said to everybody, pick one thing off your desk because everybody was at home. So pick one thing off your desk and explain what it is. Well, people are like, it's not your typical desk from work. So there's dinner plates, there's kids crayons, there's everything, but it tells everybody a little bit more. 
we need to humanize ourselves in a different way because on camera, there's the opportunities aren't there as much. Typically, we show up for the meeting and then we log off after the meeting's over. So the personal growth, the mentorship, all of those things that come along with being in an office, just saying to somebody, hey, you look great today, whatever. I love that new jacket. We don't really do that anymore because we're in these boxes. So looking for those opportunities to create those connections, I think can really help leaders build that loyalty within their organizations. Even for us, like we're doing one-on-one coffee chats. So we are actually pairing oh, randomly yeah, team members with each other. Like they don't usually work before. So we think that's, that's a pretty good way of getting them in touch. We also do like team That's a great socials. idea. Yeah, we do town halls and we do, sometimes we give random gift cards. For example, like DoorDash gift cards where you can just buy things that you love. So like those are all the things that we're trying to do to keep it engaged because we feel good like it's you. just been like, yeah. But, but I think what you uh, suggest to us is pretty important. You did touch on a topic, PR, which I think is very important. Uh, and, and I think a lot of early stage founders don't even think about it until maybe they hit the C stage, maybe they hit the Series A stage. And now they think, oh, now I need to create some press. Now I need to speak with reporters. But those people coming from tech or engineering background actually don't know exactly how it works, right? Maybe, Melissa, you can argue it's too late when you raise funding and then you want to just start creating your story. So from your experience, what is it like to work with companies that are early stage startups who wants to make a better brand or tell a better story about themselves? Well, it can definitely be too early, but it's never too late. So I'll put that out there right off the top. If you don't have your product ready, if you're not on the market, I really re recommend this is not the time to be focusing on journalists, but there's many different aspects that you can look at. But, you know, typically you need to have something on the market that you can sell, an industry you're disrupting, innovation that's occurring. Your things are changing because your product is out there. Your solution is out there. Okay. So once you have that done, that's a box you have to tick. You can't just be in an idea stage saying, we think we're going to do this, right? Journalists have no time for that. <laughs> they want to know, you know, what, like, what is, how is this changing? You know, so many times we think, well, reporters are just going to be so amazed at what I'm doing. They're going to pick up the story right away. No, they get tons of pitches every single day. When I was a journalist, like literally you go to your email box and you'd be walk away for 10 minutes to get more coffee and you come back and you'd have another 60 emails. So your email is as great as it is, the pitch that you put together is, and congratulations for doing so, but it's going to be really tough to bake it through that inbox. So typically what I like to do is for me, I'm a former journalist. So I typically try to go with the people I know first and I'll pitch the story ideas to them to get their thoughts. What's happening at the globe right now? What's happening at CTV? What are you guys covering right now? What are the stories that you're working on? I got an amazing founder I want to introduce you to. They're doing this. It might be nice. Like, so oftentimes reporters, as soon as they sniff a sales pitch, you like the, you'll see the door closing. They're not a salesperson for your company. So oftentimes we'll have to say, what's the bigger picture story here? How is this going to change society? I, as a reporter, one of the things we always did was say, here's the one person that has a problem. And there's actually millions of them that have the same problem and this is how they're working on it, right? So it's very similar to when we're bringing a product to market where we tell the story about the one person who has the issue, but there's actually the market, which is a billion dollar market of people that are looking for these kinds of solutions. So it's similar to the journalist. I think once you've got something out there, you can start to talk about it. Look at what your competitors are doing. If you've got not a direct competitor, but someone who's a side competitor, if you will, they're in the same space, but not selling the same kind of thing. 
You could look at pairing up for with a journalist to tell both sides of your story, looking at the trends, right? So right now, when you see like real estate numbers are like they're fluctuating all over the place. If you're in that space, you can actually ha- address some of the concerns that the overarching society is having. I think one of the things we think about with media is <clears throat> media is read by everyone. You can go industry specific on some in some tech magazines, et cetera. But when I think like the biggest hits happen is like the Globe and Mail, CNN, like this is when people get their big breaks when they were on the, the sort of the bigger network. And that's always our goal, right? The Forbes article, the New York Times article, right? So that's always the big, the big goal we're always looking for. So in those cases, they're looking at building that story to a point where reporters, I think my audience, like the readers are really going to be interested in it. They're not going to be interested in a small and a technology that's doing this. They're interested in a far bigger picture. So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I see, George, is people thinking that the reporter is just going to love their technology and write a story about it. Reporter doesn't care. Reporter wants to know why is my audience going to care about this and how is it going to make their lives better? Why are they interested in it? What's the story? And I think that's probably the biggest thing. So once your product's on the market, that's when you can start. And you can do anything from like news releases. I always like to, I think, reactive media. So we call it news jacking is probably some of the best media that you can do where there's a story that kind of aligns with where you are and what you're doing. Reaching out to the reporter saying, hey, I got a different angle on it. Have you thought about this? That's a really effective way to, to start to get your, yourself out there. Winning awards is great too. Being number one gardener or something along those lines, top 30, under 30, those kinds of things that definitely help. So, you know, as you're building, one more thing for founders to hear, like as you're building your organization, be looking for those kind of opportunities to be able to, to get your message out. You touched on an important point. I, I think another angle maybe we can just, we can explore is that there are many founders who are actually a little bit afraid of journalists. I think for some reason, I think especially I think happening in the US where founders are like, okay, maybe some tech reporters, for example, from the New York Times are actually focusing on giant problems happening at big tech companies, right? Are they going to find maybe some negative aspects about my company or about myself? And I think there's always this concern, but I know that might be a myth and your experience working with journalists, you probably know way more than I do. So what are your experience about dismantling this myth? that founders might be afraid of journalists. Yeah. And I was a journalist for 15 years. I worked across this country. So I think that is actually, it's, thank you. This is a really good question because I can't tell you how many people I meet who are afraid of reporters. They're afraid that they're going to misquote them. Now, typically, you know what that journalist is going to tell you about. And I'll be honest with you. One of the first things I ask my clients when we start to do a media campaign is what are your skeletons? Like, do I need to know anything? Don't be afraid to talk to, to, to journalists. Telling your story and talking about your organization is great. Yes. If you do something bad and there's going to tell that story and that's an entirely different space that's called crisis communications and we can work on that. But you know when you do something bad and that it's going to come out. So, you know, the typical founder story or someone talking to you about your company growing, it's the same questions. It's the who, what, when, and why, right? So most founders, as they're getting into media, then those are the questions, the five W's, prepare those. And that's pretty much as they're going to get, they're going to go after you. Like they might go for a tough question, right? So they might kind of push you to say something along the lines of, it wouldn't be anything personal, but they might say, you know, there something really bad has happened in our industry. What are your thoughts on that? 
right? So they might try to pull you into a more negative conversation. I'll never forget working at CTV and Jim Balsley was being interviewed and they brought him in to talk about, and I can't even remember what it was, maybe it was BlackBerry, but then they transitioned into the NHL team he was trying to buy. And he literally took out his earpiece, ripped off his mic and walked off set. So you can always do that. None of us are as big as Jim Balsilli at the time, but you can always walk away from an interview if you don't want to comment. There is that option. But in my, like my best coaching advice would be just transition into a place that you're more comfortable. I don't want to speak for my competitors. I don't want to speak for my industry. What I can tell you is this. This is what I've learned as a founder in my organization. You can always take it back to your voice. But, you know, if a reporter is trying to pull you into a bigger conversation that is not where you're comfortable, I can't speak for the rest of my industry. I can't speak for my competitors. I can't speak for that that consumer that wrote that Reddit. We, we've got an internal process there. What I can tell you is we build the best products that we can. So you bring it back to your core key messages. So for anyone who's who's afraid, always make sure you've got a great story or a great key message to come back from. Basically say, it's not my place to do this, or it's whatever you can do to bridge over. That might be the story that, you, but I think your listeners actually really want to hear about this. So we can yeah. do something like that. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, yeah, that's a great point about like communicating to reporters. Next question I have, Melissa, is I think founders are always very busy. And I think the question arises is like, should founders handle PR communications themselves or should they actually go with an agency or like a company that might help them with those communications so i know there's one example i think bad pr happened like i think earlier this year or late last year was the better.com ceo was firing about a uh, thousand or two thousand of their staff so better.com is a mortgage company and the ceo went on a zoom call went on a rampage that's like, okay you guys are not working at all you guys are not locking in your hours so you're all fired in that communication and it became really bad and it came back to hunt him. So he has to step away as CEO for quite some time. So that's the yeah. bad example in communications. So like my question, should founders always find someone who can help them with their PR instead of trying to do it themselves? For example, reaching out to reporters themselves instead of having an agency or a company that's helped them doing that. So what are your advice on this? Yeah. Well, I think there, there's sort of that tipping point. So I think once you get to an organization that's 50 to 100 people, you typically might have a media manager in your organization. You should always have a communications person in your organization. I think, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the tech companies have a CMO, a chief marketing officer or leader in the marketing. But they don't necessarily have communications. Like they can tell you anything you want to know about Google ads and all of the stuff they're doing in marketing, but it's not about that bigger comms picture. So there's different ways of having a consultant come in, you know, a fractional communications officer to come in and talk to you about what is your strategic communications plan? How do you talk about your organization? What's your story? What's the narrative that we want? What are our major key messages? And oftentimes those go into an internal and external. Your marketing strategy should definitely be touching on some of those larger communication strategies. But, you know, typically marketers are looking at your product and that's their job is to market the product, not market the company. Communications is about talking about the company as a whole. So I think there is just, it's a bit nuanced and the bigger you get, the more, the bigger your team gets, and you'll probably have a chief of communications and perhaps a, a VP of marketing, something along those lines. But for the smaller organizations, that's how most of us start. And many of us stay in that space. That's sort of lean and mean. I would say, always oh, check what's your strategic communications plan. Do you have one? Can you muddle one together enough? And then I would also say to like them, I, 
there's great PR agencies. People always think the ones in the New York and Toronto are the best ones, but I would say go for organizations that you feel really comfortable with them. I think there's something to be said for having journalist experience. So look for organizations that have journalists in, in their spaces because it's a noisy world out there and it's far easier for me to pick up the phone and call a reporter I worked with for 10 years than it is to be DMing them. And not to say that doesn't work, but I do think there's something to be said for those sorts of connections and relationships that have been built. So yeah, I would say I see too many people spend too much money on bad PR campaigns that didn't work. So dip your toe in slowly, start with a smaller budget, make sure that you're getting the return on your investments, which is, are you getting those articles? Are you seeing those things that your key messages coming back to your organizations through social media or through other means? And, and if you are, then continue to put money into public relations. And I think there's small agencies, there's big or agencies. So there's a lot of choices out there. So, you know, oftentimes meet two or three, see which one feels best. Don't sign five-year deals. Typically, like I'll work with a client for like three or four months to see if we're a good fit. And if we're not, I can make recommendations. And if we are, great. They'll stay with me for a while. And then sometimes it's nice to just try somebody else for size. So it's an interesting mm -hmm. business. I think as reporters, we're used to like a new story every day. So I think, you know, our egos don't get as hurt when you're like, okay, I'm going to try a different organization. Sure. I'll see you in a couple of years. But yeah, I would say definitely. And the biggest thing too, George, is you hire an agency because you don't have time. Like most CEOs that I know don't have time to be, you know, working on their key message statements there, make sure they've got the questions answered, be ready for their phone call, nail their interview, because that's the most important thing. All that prep is also that you get a great 10 second clip or a 22 word quote. Like we do so much work. For that, take that off the CEO's hands, have somebody else work with them on it so that they've got the time to shine. That's really, I think, what you want. That's the end goal. Yeah. And I think my next question is like, Melissa, you're also an angel investor. You also run your communications. So what are your roadmap for your company for the next couple of years? Good question. Well, I'm right now currently growing Drill Communications, this public relations agency. So I'm hoping to double in size over the next, well, yeah, about a year and a half, two years. I just had a company I invested in was acquired. So I'm actually currently looking, I've got a couple of investments. I try to do between four to six investments every year. So I'm looking at a few right now. So my goal is to have between, because everything kind of rotates, you get one in and you get another one out the door. So, you know, I hope to help at least a dozen companies grow and be successful and hopefully make a little money on the, out of my equity side of it. And yeah, with Joe I want to, I'd like to double and be one of the, the go-to public relations and communications companies in Innovation Corridor in Canada. Yeah, that's all. That's super amazing. So like for our listeners who might be interested, like getting in touch with you, like how can they find you, Melissa? Just show up on my website, which is D-U-R-E-L-C-O-M-M.com, Durlcom.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, which is super easy, Melissa Durl at on LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. That's super amazing. Thanks so much for dropping in and giving us, a, I think, masterclass on like communications and PR. I think most founders, Melissa, don't hear those a lot at all. I think in my two years, I, I, I don't hear anywhere else but you, to be honest. Yeah. Well, you're like, and I get it. You're so focused on your product and launching it, which is where you should be. That's why you need the additional help to kind of help you get those words right. So I'm happy I got to help you, George. It's been great. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Melissa. Talk in soon. You got it. 
Builders Build, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by George Poo and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Builders Build content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.